Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today on Core Principles, I'm going to talk about injustice. I'm concerned about injustice because I love justice. I really mean it when I take the Pledge of Allegiance, which describes our greatest of all nations as one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I love this nation, and I swore an oath to defend it with my life. In that oath, I declared, I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I took that obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that I would well and faithfully discharge of the duties of the office upon which I was about to enter. So help me God." And this being one nation under God, and that oath being so vital, those last four words in the oath were especially important. So help me God. It is that serious. So we'd better know what liberty and justice are, and who are the enemies of the Constitution of the United States, foreign or domestic. I'll answer that last item first. The enemies of the Constitution of the United States are people who oppose the core principles therein. And the core principles of the Constitution of the United States are that God is the source of all our rights. He is our creator. He is the authority for all our laws, thus allowing for the possibility for equality, for liberty, and for justice. The core principles of the Constitution of the United States include the fact that the government is not the source of anything, but the government is to be strictly limited to several enumerated powers for administering the just laws that protect life, liberty, and personal property. The strictly limited model of central government enshrined in our Constitution is so essential that the Constitution as ratified ends with this stern and unbreachable block to any further central government involvement in citizens' lives. Quote, The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people, unquote. Therefore, the enemies of the Constitution of the United States are people who want government involved in citizens' lives beyond the explicit authority stated in the Constitution. On the political spectrum, people who want large central government with significant involvement in citizens' lives are on the left by definition, while the Constitution, with its strict limits on central government, involvement in citizens' lives, is on the right. So it is that the enemies 
of the Constitution of the United States are, by definition, leftists. Whether they be foreign leftists, such as the communists of China, the socialists of the former Soviet Union and currently Russia, the national socialists who formerly ran Germany, the fascists who ran Italy, the imperialists who ran Japan, or the Sharia law adherents who run most Islamic states, or whether they be domestic leftists, such as the Democrats in Washington, D.C. They are all opponents of the core principles of the Constitution of the United States. That is why, for example, the most influential of the recent crop of Democrats in Washington, D.C., Barack Obama, said his objective was to, quote, fundamentally transform this nation, unquote. His desired fundamental transformation must necessarily include the eradication of the fundamentals on which this nation is founded, strictly limited government. And one look at the policies his party has pushed and now pushes ever more aggressively will prove to any observer that they do, in fact, oppose our Constitution's strict limits on government involvement in citizens' lives. Well, that ties directly to liberty, of course, because a prerequisite for liberty is independence from government. Our founders made this country an experiment in self-governance. But, of course, self-governance requires self-governance. Sorry if that sounds too obvious, but it is important. If we can't govern ourselves and instead we were, for example, willing to violate other people's lives and property, then we'd have to have a civil governmental authority in place to check our behavior and punish us for misbehavior. And we do, of course, but the founders intended that it should be as limited as possible and that we citizens should govern ourselves as much as possible. The motivation for our self-governance, of course, and obviously, could only be our acknowledgement that we are all under God's authority. And that brings us to justice for all. Because we can truly be equal only if the law applies equally to all of us. And the only way the law can apply equally to all of us is if we are all equally under the same singular authority for that law. And the only singular authority under whom we can all be is the one who created everything. God is creator, lawgiver, and the source of all our rights. Government is none of those things. Government is none of those things. I say again, government is none of those things. So, justice for all means equal justice for all. And this episode is about how the enemies of the Constitution of the United States, which I've already proven just by observing what is defined by convention, are leftists, are perverting that very concept and the application 
of justice. It's so serious, it's a true threat to the very foundation and continued existence of one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So let's look at some examples of injustice. The United States federal government features a Department of Justice. That department is led by the Attorney General of the United States. Currently, the person in that role is Merrick Garland. My guest on this podcast, David Horowitz, had this to say about Merrick Garland. Oh, Garland, he is a snake. Our senior senator from Kentucky, Mitch McConnell, has done some good things and has failed to do many other things he should do, and so many pro-Americans wish he were more diligent in protecting this nation from leftists. However, we should build a statue and hold a parade to say thank you to Senator Mitch McConnell for one vital, important thing he did. Senator McConnell was the man most directly responsible for keeping Merrick Garland off the Supreme Court. That is an ongoing blessing for the defense of the Constitution. But Merrick Garland now has another way to attack and harm this country, as he is doing in his role as Attorney General. He is overseeing a two-tiered system of justice, which by definition must be unjust. Consider for a first example the leftists' reactions to Antifa BLM burning cities, looting stores, attacking police throughout the summer of 2020. Compared to those same leftist reactions to patriotic Americans accepting invitations from Capitol Police to enter a public building, the glass breakers and instigators on that January 6th at the Capitol were some of the same Antifa BLM thugs And for evidence of that fact, I encourage you to listen to the Core Principles podcast episode called January 6, which I published on the 1st of August of this year. The Antifa BLM thugs who burned cities are roaming free, while the Patriots were taken from their homes by overwhelming force in raid after raid, then locked up for hundreds of days without trial on charges like trespassing and parading. Meanwhile, the Antifa BLM thugs who broke glass and instigated violence at the Capitol are also roaming free, and neither the Justice Department nor the January 6th Commission have any interest in them. Also related to that situation, the FBI apparently planted people into the crowds to instigate going into the Capitol. A man named Ray Epps is on video and audio doing exactly that. Yet Ray Epps is of no interest to the Justice Department nor the January 6th Commission. The FBI took the perfunctory step, for show, of placing Ray Epps on the FBI's most wanted list after January 6th, but then they took him off of that list after only one day. The direct question about Ray Epps' involvement on behalf of the FBI was put to the head of the counterintelligence division within the Bureau. She would not say no, and she did not even bother to claim such a thing would never happen. She merely declined to answer because the obvious answer is, in fact, the obvious answer. 
So that's an example of two-tiered justice, which is injustice. Another example involves handling of classified information. As former Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton took classified information out of secure storage and put it in her own house, some of which she left online where the Chinese could potentially access it. As former president, Donald Trump may have taken some documents marked classified out of the White House and to his residence at Mar-a-Lago. If those things sound similar, then you may have not been paying attention to reality and you may have fallen for media lies. But even if they were similar, you've surely observed that the reaction by the Department of Justice has not been anything close to similar. Clinton has faced no consequences, while Trump has been raided and slandered relentlessly. But let me briefly explain why these actions by Clinton and Trump are not at all similar. Hillary committed crimes, and Trump did not do anything wrong. Much more information about the Trump raid, by the way, is available on a recent Core Principles episode called What If Trump Wasn't the Target of the Raid? Secretary Clinton did not have authority to declassify information. She had her underlings cut off the classification indicators on physical documents she took. And of course, she just blatantly took the electronic data she put on her unsecure homemade server. President Trump did have the authority to declassify things, and he did declassify everything he took as his presidential records. That's why the documents at Mar-a-Lago were referred to as documents marked classified rather than classified documents. There were no classified documents at Mar-a-Lago because the original classification authority President Trump himself, declassified them. Furthermore, they were never unsecured. They were in a secure, compartmented information facility, SCIF, cleared to handle the highest classifications, and they were always guarded by Secret Service. Now, since they were declassified, why bother with such protection? Well, because, as anyone who's been in government service knows, there's plenty of information which is considered sensitive but unclassified. In case anyone is confused by the fact that President Trump, as original classification authority, could not be guilty of mishandling classified information, here's a brief excerpt from an article by left-wing Trump-hating Noah Feldman from May 15th of 2017. Quote, The president has inherent constitutional authority to declassify information at will. And that means the federal laws that criminalize the disclosure of classified secrets don't apply to him. Unquote. These true facts upset Noah Feldman, of course, because Trump, but they remain true facts, and even Feldman had to acknowledge them. Note, by the way, that these facts do not make the president above the law, but we do entrust the commander-in-chief with certain authorities, and classification and declassification are among those authorities. The next example of unequal application of justice features Joe Biden and Donald Trump, as well as the leaders of Ukraine. 
when Joe Biden was vice president, his son, Hunter, and almost certainly Joe himself, the big guy, were involved in outrageous crimes involving Ukraine. The Ukrainians had started investigating the Biden's criminal activity. Joe Biden bragged about how he used the leverage of whether or not to release funds from the United States government to the Ukrainian government as a way to directly blackmail the Ukrainians to stop investigating the Bidens. Here is the direct quote from Joe Biden. Quote, I told them to fire the prosecutor or they wouldn't get the billion dollars. And son of a, expletive deleted, he got fired. Unquote. The consequences for Joe and Hunter Biden? None. Later, President Trump met with the new president of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky. President Trump knew of the activities involving the Bidens and how that had directly corrupted our own government in the Obama administration. And he also had heard that Zelensky was a reformer who intended to root out corruption in Ukraine. President Trump told President Zelensky that he hoped Zelensky would live up to his promise to root out corruption, even such corruption as had affected both countries. In doing so, President Trump offered nothing, nor did he threaten to withhold anything, nor in fact did he withhold anything. The consequences for President Trump for doing nothing wrong? The Democrats impeached him, of course. The Senate acquitted President Trump, since he did nothing wrong. But if there had been enough Democrats in the Senate, they would have convicted him for no reason other than Democrats hate America and have no integrity and no decency. For our next example of injustice, let's look at what happens to people who question the integrity and security of our elections. Here's a couple of minutes worth of many, many more examples that I don't want to take the time to play, featuring Democrats claiming with no evidence that Republican election victories are fraudulent and illegitimate. You can run the best campaign. You can even become the nominee. And you can have the election stolen from you. Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He lost the election. And he was put in the office because the Russians interfered. Trump knows he's an illegitimate president. The one thing that Trump is fearful of uh, when it comes to his being president is that finally we will see how illegitimate his victory actually was. I have an objection. I object to the 15 votes from the state of North Carolina. I object because people are horrified. He's an illegitimate president. So that was a very tainted election. And, and in that sense, it's illegitimate. Why do you think the president is going to such great lengths to essentially prove that he beat you? Because he knows he didn't. He knows he's an illegitimate president. There was a widespread understanding that this election was not on the level. We actually won the last presidential election, folks. They stole the last presidential election. After the election, when you stole the election, you came back here and said, get over it. No, we're not going to get over it. You know it. I know it. They know it. We won that election. As we look at our election system, I think it's fair to say that there are many legitimate questions about its accuracy, about its integrity. There are still legitimate concerns over the integrity of our elections. The question, obviously, is how many instances we're not caught that we don't know about. Uh, number one, we've seen a lot of 
what I call honest glitches, where it just didn't work right, but also that these machines are hackable. A dishonest employee of the vendor, or a dishonest employee of a local board of elections, or simply someone who knows electronics uh, and has a computer at home, um, could hack into these machines and uh, put in a secret instruction to disregard every 20th Democratic vote. But in 2020, the Democrats provably did commit massive fraud and they illegally altered voting rules during the election season using the pandemic hysteria that they generated as their excuse. Even their outrageous fraud was not enough to win, and by election night 2020, it was clear President Trump had won re-election. So, the Democrats in several states called time out. They kicked out the required poll observers. They told everyone they would not do any more counting until the observers returned the next day. But by that next morning, they had added so many votes for Joe Biden that they had flipped every one of those states and the presidential election itself. They couldn't do that on the down-ballot races, so the Republicans won every single closely contested House race. We were all able to observe these things, so there's no need for speculation. But there was, and is, evidence of more specific fraud and cheating by the Democrats. Some of it I detailed on this podcast at the end of November 2020 in an episode called Election Continued. Unlike the Democrats who repeatedly claimed Republican victories were illegitimate, we who observed 2020 provided mountains of observations, evidence, and even proof. They lied. We told the truth. But they who constantly claim fraud with no evidence when they lose, demanded that the observations, evidence, and proof of 2020 fraud must be deemed insurrection and a threat to our democracy. Which, by the way, we don't have a democracy, of course. We have a republic. But regardless, the leftists viciously attack everyone who provides evidence or proof of their fraud. For example... Mike Lindell provided mountains of evidence and proof. And when he gained attention for that proof, the leftists attacked him mercilessly. They sought to destroy him and they surely would murder him if they thought they could get away with it. In September of 2022, Mike Lindell was at a Hardee's drive through on a road trip. Suddenly multiple FBI vehicles pinned Lindell's vehicle in and they confiscated his phone with no specific warrant to do so. The FBI's outrageous violation of the Fourth Amendment has led Harvard law professor Alan Dershowitz to come to Lindell's defense. Dershowitz makes it clear that he disagrees with Lindell on most things because Dershowitz is a classical liberal. But even he recognizes that the Constitution must apply equally to everyone or we're doomed. For our next example, let's look at how justice is not equally applied when it comes to the hot topic of abortion. Earlier this year, the United States Supreme Court, in the Dobbs decision, made it clear that the Constitution of the United States does not say and never has said anything conferring a right to terminate a child's life through abortion. Thus, the question of whether abortion would be legal was left to the several states since there was not a federal provision regarding it. 
The anti-life crowd, who want abortion to be allowed for any reason or no reason at all, could try to overcome this ruling that they consider a travesty. What they would do if they wanted to legitimately change that outcome from Dobbs would be to propose and pass an amendment to the Constitution that adds the so-called right which for 50 years they falsely claimed was already present in the Constitution. But they won't even try to add that to the Constitution because they know they would fail since most Americans are not bloodthirsty terminators of children. So what do the anti-life people do instead? They attack pro-life people. They attack churches. They attack pregnancy resource centers after people like Senator Elizabeth Warren said all pro-life pregnancy resource centers needed to be targeted for shutdown. And yes, their attacks are vandalous, violent, and terroristic. Consequences for the leftists? Maybe someday, maybe not. But how about peaceful pro-life persons? Obviously, in some states, Abortion remains the same revenue generator for Planned Parenthood that it has been for years. And as has been the case for years, pro-life persons often stand within sight of the death chambers and declare their own hopes that such carnage may end. One such pro-life person, a Catholic counselor named Mark Hauck, used to provide counsel near an abortion clinic in Pennsylvania. Sometimes, He was accompanied by his 12-year-old son. A man known as B.L. would accost the counselor and his young son and scream in the boy's face. On two occasions, Mr. Hauk defended his son from the verbal abuse by pushing B.L. away from him, and that resulted in B.L. falling. B.L. pressed charges against Mr. Hauk, but the district court dropped them because they had no merit. Self-defense, or defense of your own minor child, is not typically regarded as criminal battery. But last week, the FBI sent 30 armed agents to the Houck's home at about 7 a.m. Here's how Mrs. Houck described the scene she, her husband, and their seven children faced. What follows is a paraphrase from Mrs. Houck. They started pounding on the door and yelling for us to open it. Mark answered them, Please, I'm going to open the door, but please, my children are in the home. But they just kept pounding and screaming. Mark opened the door, and they rushed inside. They had big, huge rifles pointed at Mark and pointed at me and throughout the house. The kids were all just screaming in terror. It was all just very scary and traumatic. I asked them if they had a warrant. They said they were going to take Mark away whether they had a warrant or not. So, listeners, the district court had already reviewed this matter and found no basis for a charge against Mark Hauk to lead to any criminal trial. But Merrick Garland's Department of Justice apparently needs to send a message to pro-life persons. And 30 armed FBI agents pointing rifles into a house with seven children looking on in horror is one way to send that message. And... Merrick Garland's boss, Joe Biden, also wanted to send a message recently to everyone who loves America enough to want to make America great again. He delivered his message in the horrific and infamous Blood Red speech. He looked like a maniac, raising his fists in anger against us pro-Americans, whom he denounced as threat to the very country we love. 
But did Joe Biden's angry vitriol against pro-Americans generate only ridicule? Or did some people take his hate-mongering rhetoric to heart and put action to it? Unfortunately, it was the latter. On the 18th of September, 41-year-old Shannon Brandt used his vehicle to purposefully drive into 18-year-old Kaylor Ellingson, who died as a result. Brandt acknowledged that the motivation for killing Ellingson was that Ellingson was a Republican. Consequences? As of 26 September, Brandt is a free man and has not even been charged with murder. Is that an isolated incident? Or have leftists been committing violence against people they perceive as pro-America for a while now? You probably know it is the latter. But here are just a tiny sampling of headlines regarding the leftist war against America. From CBS News, Clinton supporter lights flag on fire attacks Trump supporter. From FM 101.5 in New Jersey, Trump supporter was attacked with a crowbar on the street. From the Daily Caller, Tennessee man attacked at garage sale for being a Trump supporter. From the Gateway Pundit, leftist mob beats, kicks, pummels Trump supporter for wearing a MAGA hat. From the New York Daily News, Republican headquarters firebombed. From Fox 59 in Indianapolis, vandals throw bricks through windows at Republican Party office. From the Daily Caller, 11-year-old boy badly beaten for voting for Trump in mock election. From Fox 32 in Chicago, four anti-Trump activists tied a man up and tortured him on Facebook Live. From the Washington Free Beacon, Man hit and knocked unconscious for being a Trump supporter. From Politico, message to GOP representative says, this is how we're going to kill your wife. From the New York Daily News, Republican representatives threatened after congressman shooting. One down, 216 to go. From the Independent, Anti-Trump man shoots Republican neighbor twice in the head. From the Daily Caller. Democrat senator says, I hope Trump is assassinated. From WTOP. Increasing threats to Republicans include burned animal carcass left on porch. From Town Hall. Democrat Party volunteer threatened to kill GOP representatives' kids. From the Daily Caller, Georgetown professor says white Republicans should be castrated and fed to swine. From ABC News, Antifa vandalizes New York GOP headquarters. From WFTV, four shots fired into Volusia County Republican headquarters. From Fox 32 in Chicago, Indiana couple drove boys with Trump flags off the road. From ABC News, man kills pro-Trump boss and throws American flag on his body. From the Boston Herald, 
82-year-old veteran attacked for carrying a Trump sign. From the Daily Caller, Joe Biden supporter fires shotgun at two Republicans. And finally, from right here in Kentucky, from the Courier-Journal, man threatens to chop up Rand Paul and his family with an axe. Have a blessed day. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.